All right, if you'll take your Bible this morning to the book of John, chapter 19, and we'll begin reading in verse number 16. John, chapter 19, and we'll be reading in verse number 16. We continue our study and our series in the book of John. We have now for about a year and a half, I suppose. And we're to chapter 19, and uh, we have entitled the message is... Uh, why Christianity is special. And if you can go through the book of John and not see why Christianity is special, you need to go back through the book of John again because you can see why that Christianity is special. In your Bible, verse 16, Then delivered he him, therefore, unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place, uh, into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. Let's pray, please, because I believe the ground that we're standing on today has got to be holy ground. The text that we read today is probably the center of all history and mankind. Father, today we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you today for the hope that we find within your word. I pray for those today among us who are going through very trying and difficult times, regardless of what it might be. And we're glad and we thank you that we can come to a God that is able to do exceedingly abundant above anything that we can think or ask. So I pray today we'd leave it in your hands. And Lord, today as we discuss the cross of the Lord Jesus, may we do it reverently. And Lord, may we do it sincerely. And may we realize the importance of the cross in each of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I did not read the remainder of the uh, the chapter of the book of John, chapter 19, because of the fact that I got a call last night from a man named Washington wanting me to join the rotation this afternoon because they ran out of pictures last night and I need my rest. For the afternoon, throwing those fastballs going to be hard on me. I told them me and one first baseman could beat the whole crowd. Must be ranger land today. Nobody's laughing. (laughs) Just do like some folks at my house. When they're not winning, go watch a history channel. 
when they're winning, come back and watch the ball game. That's the way you do that. You don't ever have any problems. I hope you realize and you are now familiar with the events leading up to the crucifixion of our Lord. I want to talk to you just a little bit out of verse number 17 this morning, if you would please. And I found two words there that I thought maybe would be significant. Have you ever heard the old saying, no pain, no gain? I think the Rangers understand that today. But I thought I'd just uh, maybe change that around a little bit today for the sake of this morning's message. Notice the words in chapter, in verse number 17, he bearing his cross. I'd like to pull those two words, his cross. That's all I want to talk about today. It's just his cross. Now I know many of us have a cross to carry and a cross to bear. Something very unusual about his cross because his pain was our gain. Now get a hold of that if you would please. Jesus didn't go to the cross to be a martyr. Uh, Jesus did not go to the cross because he got caught doing anything. Jesus went to the cross because it was in the eternal plan of God the Father, God the Son, and the God the Holy Spirit. And he went there to take all the pain that sin has to offer. And the Bible says by his stripes we are healed. The Bible said he was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. His pain, our gain. It was his cross that he bore. And the events leaned up to it, of course, you're familiar with them. Uh, we begin in the upper room and there he institutes the Lord's Supper. You remember that. He met with the disciples there to eat the Passover meal which is an Old Testament festival and an Old, Te- Old Testament meal. But while he was there observing the Passover, he instituted a new meal called the Lord's Supper. Remember he took in the book of uh, Luke, he took uh, the cup and said, this is my blood. And he took the bread and said, this is my body of a New Testament. So even in the upper room, he was speaking of his death at Calvary by the Lord's Supper. He gave us an example of servant, servants, servanthood when he washed the disciples' feet. He consoled the disciples when he said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. That's John 14. Many of you today look like you could stand a little consoling of the Lord. 
I had no idea that one baseball game could set the tone for a preaching service. But there's always hope. He promised us the Holy Spirit. In John 14 and verse 16. And then we see the Lord praying in verse number chapter number 17. Last week we talked about John chapter 18. We talked about the treason, the tyranny, and the trial. Do you remember that? Well, today we get to the treatment. Last week we saw Jesus in court. Now we see him on a cross. And notice the treatment, if you would please, in verse 1 of chapter 18. It just seems like I do not want a a major on the the gory details. But I, I just want you to see a little bit of what maybe he went through for us. So that the next time we're complaining about what we're going through for him, it might kind of change our attitude a little bit. The Bible says, and Pilate, therefore, verse 1 took Jesus and scourged him. Scourged him. Now he's already admitted that he found no fault in him. He's already examined him several times and found there's no fault in him. But to appease the crowd, he scourged him. Now, I'm sure you realize what that is. I've had a lot of scourgings in my life. My dad and mom scourged me regularly. But in the biblical sense, a scourging was where they took the victim and they bent him over a post such as this and took the raiment off his back and had a large Roman officer there who was very proficient at what he did. He knew how to crack the scourge. The scourge was a a stick with about... uh, Uh, So many leather thongs, if you please. Nine, I think. And it tied at the end of them uh, metal or stones at the end. And they called it the cat of nine tails. And every time this Roman officer would bring that down across the back of the victim, the glass or the stone or the metal that was tied to the throng would dig in deeply into the back of the person that is being scourged. Nine times, whop, across the back. Nine times pulling blood, muscle, uh, bone, fragments of skin. Thirty-nine times across the back. Had it tough this week, have we? Feel like quitting because the Rangers lost. Thirty-nine times. They scourged him. Verse 2. And the soldiers planted a crown of thorns. And put it on his head. Crown of thorns. Wonder what thorns has to do with it. Have you ever read in the book of Genesis chapter 3. Verse 15, 16, 17, 18. 
where that Jesus is promised in the word of God and God looks at the devil and looks at the woman and looks at Adam and he says to the serpent, he shall bruise thy head, but you shall bruise his heel. And then he said to the woman in sorrow, thou shalt bring forth, thou bear children. And then to the man he said, by the sweat of your brow, you will earn a living. Next verse. And thorns and thistles shall the earth bear. Crown of thorns placed on his head was significant of sin because had there been no sin, there would be no thorns. Planted deeply in his brow, it said to the woman, he'll suffer the sorrow that you're supposed to suffer because sin, thorns, sorrow, and sweat. Scourged. Crowned. Significant a picture, if you please. A sign. Verse 3, and they put a purple robe in verse number 2 in mockery. And said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, Behold, I bring him forth unto you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Well, what's the joker allowing his soldiers to do that then? Pilate's hand was tied. He wasn't in charge. God was in charge. Pilate said, I'm just soon to let him go. God said, no, this is the reason he came. To take care of that sweat problem. Take care of that sin problem. Take care of that sorrow problem. He came. And they smote him with their hands. Then came Jesus forth wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests, therefore, officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. In your Bible, John chapter 3, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, Jesus told Nicodemus something that probably Nicodemus didn't really understand. But if you'll notice something, if you would please, in John chapter number 3. And let me show you what Jesus told Nicodemus in verse 14 and 15. Verse 14 and 15, look in your Bible. The Bible says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have... Somebody tell me what? The famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. As Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. 
And through John 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and all the way through 19, now we see high above Jerusalem, just outside the city walls, a hill that is made in the form of a skull, if you please, and it's called Golgotha, and it's called Calvary, and it's there that Jesus Christ is lifted up and put on that gray, on that, on that cross that stands outside of that city. And Jesus now is being lifted up so that all men may come to him by faith. His cross, his cross. And I'd like to leave you three things today about his cross. Number one, his cross is a cross of division. Now, preacher, what do you say you talk about a cross of division? If you notice something in Matthew chapter number 26, it does something very significant. Matthew 26 and verse 26, the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, you need to get this, divides the Old Testament and the Old Covenant from the New Testament and the New Covenant. It divides. It divides. Things are not the same since the cross took place. In the Old Testament, they ate the Passover. In the Old Testament, they pointed back toward a time when God delivered his children from Egypt. Notice, if you would please, in verse number 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave to the disciples and said, Now notice, take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. In the old They killed goats, bulls, rams, turtle doves. In the old, they took the blood and sprinkled on the mercy seat. In the old, they had sacrifices every single day. Multitudes of bloody sacrifices. In the old, it pointed toward the cross, if you please, of the new. And when Jesus died, the old was passed away. We don't offer sacrifices anymore. This one sacrifice of Jesus Christ at Calvary is sufficient to set set aside and sanctify those who believe forever. Thank God I didn't have to bring no bull or goat to to church this morning. Now a lot of us shoot a lot of bull at church, but we didn't bring any with us this morning. Amen. Thank God the cross divides the old and the new. And the Bible says not only does it divide the old and new. The Bible says in Colossians 2.14. Blotting out the handwriting, handwriting of ordinances that was against us. All the ordinances, the Old Testament was against us. There shalt not, shalt not, shalt not, shalt not, shalt not. But it, thank God the cross blotted all those out. I don't have to answer them anymore. And Jesus Christ has nailed it to the cross. And thank God I don't have to do that anymore. Not only that, it divides the saved from the lost. Do you know the only difference in a saved person and a lost person? One's going to heaven, one's going to hell. 
It don't mean that a saved person don't sin anymore. It don't mean that a saved person sins any less. I wish it did. Amen. But the cross divides saved from the law. In your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Here it is. The cross of Jesus Christ. It divides, ladies and gentlemen. It divides, the Bible says in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 1. Look at this. The cross of Jesus Christ divides for the preaching of the cross. You got that? Look at that. Verse 18. For the preaching of the cross. How many folk believe in the cross? How many responded one day to the preaching of the cross? Didn't understand it all, just accepted that Jesus Christ paid it all. All to him I owe. Thank God for the cross. Now look at the dividing. But the preaching of the cross to them that are perishing. Notice what it says. It says to preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness. You find me a fellow who don't believe in the cross and he will... Absolutely. Say it's absolutely foolish. How can one man dying on a cross redeem all men? That's just God's plan. The preaching of the cross. Notice if you would please. It is foolishness. But unto us which are saved. It is what? The power of God. There is a lot of difference in the power of God. And the foolishness of the cross. Amen. You say, well, preacher, I just don't understand how that works. Don't try to understand it. Just believe it. Uh, If I could just understand it, preacher, I could embrace it. Don't try to understand. How in the world can a finite mind understand an infinite God? Why, bless your heart, you can't even fix a car and God designs your body. (laughs) You say, well, preacher, I don't understand computers. Then you sure don't understand you. Amen. Amen. And God in his complexity put us all together. And God put this all together and created it and sustains it. Don't try to understand God or the mind of God. Just accept the grace and generosity of God. The cross is a divider. Now, boys, if you mess up and guff around in church, I'll tell you, I'll come and sit in your lap. It's best that you listen for the next 15 minutes. Because you don't want me sitting in your lap. Now if you want to cut up. Go out in the parking lot. Get you some marbles. And play like the little kids you're acting like. In church. You say are them my kids. If you're sitting with them. You wouldn't have to ask that. Cross is a divider. I just divided some of you right then. But at my age, ask me if I care. The cross is divider. Verse 22, look at this in 1 Corinthians, verse 22. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified under the Jews a stumbling block and under the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Praise God for the cross. It's a divider. You agree? 
His cross. His cross. Secondly, his cross is a cross of decision. Decision. And for your help, if you could turn to Luke chapter 23 for just a moment. His cross is a cross that divides. Yes. It divides. His cross is a cross of decision. I read for you verse 32, if that would be all right, in Luke chapter number 23. Decision. There's one thing you can't be is neutral concerning the cross. You cannot be neutral concerning the cross of Jesus Christ. My wife and I were talking the other day, and maybe she was talking and I was listening. I don't know. And she made this statement. If you read much about history of the educational institutions in America, most of the Ivy League and schools of any reputation in America was started by godly men, a lot of them as seminaries and Bible training institutions. Go to the Ivy League, go to the East and find all of those schools were started by godly men who had intent of teaching the Bible. And I, I just, uh, it's just, you can't be neutral because if you become neutral, it won't be long until you've lost your message. Notice, if you would please, in verse 20, in verse number 32, and there were also two other male factors led with him to be put to death. Male factor, just another word for criminal. And when they were come to a place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right hand, the other on the left. Get the picture now. Our Lord's cross is not the only cross on the hill that day. There were three crosses. You agree? The middle cross, the one our Lord was hanging on, was the cross of redemption. The lamb slain before the foundation of the world. On that cross, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And on that middle cross was God himself doing a work for you and I. And on that cross was the cross of redemption. But on either side are two other crosses. Notice down in verse number 39. We have one cross. And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him. Saying if thou be Christ save thyself and us. You like that? The cross of rejection and rebellion. The cross that is dead to faith. The cross that died in unbelief. The man who died in his sins. A man who had no hope and nothing ever left, nothing less 
nothing left in his life except just how to get right with God before he died. He died without hope and without God, rejecting God, the cross of rejection. Many today are that way, even in this place this morning. Realizing what Jesus has done for us and will at their dying breath of their own volition die and go out into a Christless eternity knowing they're going to hell. You say, preacher, no one, no one in their right mind would do that. I'm not saying right mind or not, but I've seen them on their dying bed with tears in their eyes. And families just outside the waiting room as I spoke to the man lying on his bed and his own words said, I know I'm a sinner. I know if I died right now, I'll go to hell. And his eyes rolled back in his head and he went out to meet God with a testimony. I'm going to hell. The cross of rejection and rebellion against God. You say, preacher, I would never do that. Maybe not outwardly, but what about inwardly? There's one thing you cannot be is neutral concerning his cross. On one side, the thief said... If you are the God of this universe, come down off of that cross and save thyself and us. Notice the other side in verse 40, if you would please. In verse number 40 of your text, the Bible said, The thief on the other side of the cross, and the other answered, rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? Seeing thou art in the same condemnation... He said, man, you're on your way to death. You're about to breathe your last breath. You need to get this thing straightened. He said, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Now notice. That thief's hands is nailed to the cross. That absolutely did away with all of his doing. He couldn't do good. He couldn't do bad. His hands are nailed to the cross. He could not do one thing to earn heaven. Nothing. He could not be baptized. He could not run the rosary. He could not go to a confessional booth. He's hanging on a cross just moments before he dies. His hands is nailed to the cross. His feet is nailed to the cross. And that cut down on his doing. He can do nothing now. Go nowhere to please God. He's at God's complete mercy. Some folks say you got to be baptized to be saved. This guy wasn't. Some guy said, if you're saved, you, you don't need to start tithing. Well, if he got a chance, he probably would have. And all he did was, is recognize the one on the center cross as Lord. Lord. What do you got to do to go to heaven? Recognize him as Lord. 
Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He realized his need for forgiveness. This is the cross of repentance and reception of our Lord Jesus. He realized he was a sinner. And all of a sudden, hanging on that cross. Now listen, listen. The Holy Spirit of God began to work on his heart. And to reveal to him who it was on the center cross. And that, that center cross was the cross of redemption. And the other cross was the cross of rejection. And he wanted the cross of reception and repentance. And the Holy Spirit did a work on him. And he said, Lord, remember me. Now, let me help you a little bit. It don't make any difference what you've said or done. If the Holy Spirit didn't do a work in your heart, you're still hanging on the wrong cross. What's wrong today is we think that a few puppy dog stories and a few tears merit salvation. It does not. That thief realized he was a sorry, low-down, good-for-nothing, and that he had sinned against God. And he said, I'm here justly. You're here justly. We deserve what we're doing. What we need is grace. What we need is forgiveness. What we need is for Jesus Christ, the God of this universe, to say, you are justified by faith. And it changed his life. Now the cross you can't be neutral on. It's a cross of division. It's a cross of decision. It's a cross of destination. His cross is a cross of destination. Lord, remember me. And what did he say? Today. Thou shalt be with me somewhere. I want somebody to tell me where he said. Paradise. Okay. Paradise. Now, I wonder what he meant by paradise. I I could go into telling you about how that paradise was moving, where paradise is now, and where paradise was then. But I know one thing. Jesus said, as Jonah was in the belly of the earth three days and three nights, even so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Is that right? And he told that that guy on the cross, well, today, not Tomorrow, today thou shalt be with me. Where? Somebody tell me. Paradise. Okay. So one cross gets to go to paradise. Now my question is, where does the other cross, where's the guy on the other cross get to go? If one cross is the cross of reception and one cross is the cross of uh, uh, repentance and one cross is the cross of paradise, where's that cross of rebellion and the cross of rejection? Where does that guy get to spend eternity? Because that middle cross determines our destiny. 
And our attitude toward that cross determines our destiny. So if one who recognizes him as Lord and one repents and gets to go to paradise, would I be free to say, and do you think I would be at liberty to say, That that other guy also is spending eternity somewhere. His cross is a cross of division. No more blood of goats and bulls. Now the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. A cross of decision. There was a man, certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, Luke 16. And there was a certain beggar man named Lazarus, which was laid at the gate full of sores. Verse 21, the desire to be fed by the crumbs fell from the rich man's table. Verse 22, and it came to pass that the beggar died. And was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lift up his eyes, been in torments. And seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. You see, until our Lord arose from the dead... There's a place in the heart of the earth. It's called Sheol. In one side is Abraham's bosom, which is paradise. Afar across a chasm, visibly to be seen, is hell. And so a Saved man died and was taken to the bosom of Abraham, paradise. Jesus said, today thou shalt be a man in paradise. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, even so shall the Son of Man be three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. So the beggar died and was taken to paradise in the heart of the earth. The rich man died and was taken to hell in the heart of the earth. Can I read it for you now? And in hell he lift up his eyes, seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water. Cool my tongue. For I'm tormented in this flame. Abraham said, Son, remember that in thy lifetime receivest thou good things, likewise Lazarus evil things. Now he is comforted and thou art tormented. You got the picture now. Paradise, hell, a large canyon. 
I read for you some more now just to help you a little bit. You say, preacher, it's time to go. I know that. Abraham said, son, remember. And besides this, verse 26, and besides this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Well, I close. His cross, cross of redemption. His cross, cross of division. Cross of decision. Cross of destination. Just because you don't believe it ain't going to change one thing. Just because you don't receive it not going to change one thing. You say, well, preacher, if we die today, do we go to the heart? No, now, if you study a little Bible a little bit. When Jesus rose from the dead, he moved paradise from the heart of the earth to be with the Lord. Paul said when he was stoned to death, he was raised up to the third heaven, which is paradise. God moved it. Thank God. But he didn't move that other place. It's still there. And your attitude toward his cross determines your eternal destiny. Just like the guy who said, I can handle this job all by myself. And the oven said, I can't. Lord, would you please remember me? And I'm coming. You see, his pain can be your gain. Or your pain can be your loss. I just wonder, what is your attitude? And which cross represents your attitude? Well, I don't need this. Oh, you can't be neutral. Well, I don't have to do that to go to heaven. Well, good luck. But according to the Bible, you do. To as many as receive him, to them gave he the power, you remember, to become the sons of God.